Everyone's reality will change dramatically multiple times throughout their life based on learning new things. By reality, I mean before you learned this thing, reality looked like this. These things were true, but after learning this thing, your previous reality breaks down, falls apart, and is no longer true, or at least no longer complete. Let's take some examples. Santa Claus. When Santa was real, the excitement of this gift-bearing, near-godlike being visiting you, who knows you and exactly what you want, who rides in a flying sled and real flying reindeer because magic, and magic is special, and you never want it to go away because it creates so much wonderment and joy. Until one day, you discover... It was your parents the whole time, and Santa was a story, wrapped in a tradition. But that meant magic wasn't real. For many, this was the last straw. I mean, maybe the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy you'd already debunked, but it made sense. But Santa, Santa was a big deal. If you had an experience like this, try and recall how you felt about learning the truth. What was reality like after you learned this? Were you angry? Were you sad or disappointed? Maybe jaded? Thoughts of, what was the point if he's not even real? Why would your parents lie to you like that all this time? Get your hopes up. Oh, listener, if you picked up that the word truth is super loaded the way I dropped that word, you have been paying attention. Because what is truth and what is real? Hashtag the Matrix. This reality shift, or paradigm shift as some call it, happens because the thing you just learned, you know is truer than what you knew before. And that shakes things up and you have to question what else you thought you knew to be true? Parents getting a divorce, finding you had a half-sibling from one of your parents' previous marriages, falling in love, learning history, physics, or how to play music on your own. In college, my religious paradigm shift began with a book called Meeting Jesus Again for the First Time by Marcus Borg. This was my introduction to the so-called quest for the historical Jesus. While I didn't fully understand everything I was reading, there were truths I was learning that I just could not ignore. The reality of Jesus as God incarnate, the afterlives of heaven and hell, the way I would even read the Bible from that point on changed dramatically. I was so angry I threw the book across the room in my dorm yelling out something like, well fuck, if that's true then everything I've ever been taught about God and Jesus is a fucking lie. Change is uncomfortable and sometimes painful. And because of that, events like these have been called the devil's work. Oddly enough though, accepting Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior is not considered this. And I would definitely call that a reality-changing experience. I don't know if any of the above experiences are for sure the devil's work. But the devil is our work. This 
is the devil you don't know. here again hello uh, i'm i'm don early i'm emily i'm jeremy and uh <laughs> this is the w don't know podcast which is where we explore the historical and cultural relevance of the figure of the devil and we are reading the book by elaine pagels the origin of satan how christians demonize jews pagans and heretics based on a true story today <laughs> We are. <laughs> I'm trying to come up with a new one each time. <laughs> I love it. Today we are talking about chapter three, which is Matthew against the Pharisees deploying the devil, which after reading it, I just decided to uh, subtitle this Puffuck the Pharisees. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> I mean, it was really, really glaring that, I mean, we get that in the title, Matthew against the Pharisees, that's obvious. But now we know why we're going to get into this. But right. um, wow, this is so, it, well, before we get into that, let me just talk about like what we're going to get into today, because I don't know about you. Well, it's probably just me. Let's face probably it. Just you. It's probably just <laughs> me. But I really nerded the hell out. out. Some things just my mind on I, this when one. I was reading this chapter I was picturing you nerding out yeah there's more than a couple of times I was like oh Don's really enjoying this <laughs> <laughs> that's that's me reading the whole book though so okay <laughs> <laughs> so okay it's no it's not a bad book it's it's excellent and it's chock full of lots of excellent information it is. It is. And we are not going to get into probably half of it today, but <laughs> that would be hard to do. Yeah. There's I a mean, lot there. honestly, Shock full. <laughs> it is. It's very, I, I definitely encourage you go out there. There is links in the description of this episode. Go out and uh, grab that book if you want to, but today. Okay. So in episode one, I sort of did that, uh, 10, well, I called it five, you know, New Testament studies in five minutes, right? But it was, right. I timed it out, it's actually 10 minutes. But it was great. I loved it. Thanks. But I did get a few things, I'm not going to say wrong, but I should clarify some stuff. And okay. this chapter did a lot of that, I think. And so what we're going to talk about is uh, canonical nerdery. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I had talked about the canonization of the New Testament culminated in the Vulgate, which is the Latin translation of the, the entire Bible. Well, that's kind of when the order of all the books in the New Testament sort of got cemented. But canonized, like what was actually like, yes, we accept this as the church, has been happening for centuries up until that point. So, and this kind of brings that up. So I, I just want to make sure and clarify that, you know, that's, uh, that's what we're talking about. And so this, oh man, I got to tell you, I'm just, I'm seriously giddy over the content of this chapter around <laughs> um, 
uh, a canonization is a thing that I've I've I don't know why. I'm gonna, we'll we'll get into that. We know what made it into the canon, but we need to know where did these come from? And we talked a bit. I talked a bit about that in two episodes ago, episode one about the gospels in particular. Why you know we have the four gospels. We talked a bit about the um the synoptic gospels and what right. synoptic gospels meant. And we talked a bit about Q and we talked a bit about Mark and how John's kind of this own thing on the Out other there. side. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so we, we get some clarification on that in this chapter. Uh, we also get to talk about why they made it into the canon which I think is really, I don't think I ever put this together in the entire time I've ever been reading the New Testament whatsoever. This was a kind of a, a big thing for me. And then what didn't make it in and why did they not make it in? And there's a couple of big ones that came up. Like for my next bullet point, who the fuck is Thomas? <laughs> I love the gospel of Thomas. The gospel of Thomas. The secret gospel of Thomas, might right. I add. The secret gospel of Thomas who talks about being the secret twin of Jesus. That there's a secret twin. What the? <laughs> okay, we're going to get into that because what they mean by that kind of blew my mind. Mm-hmm. So... I want to I want to get your take on that too. And then okay, the 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 subject of this this whole chapter is uh Matthew, right? Right. Matthew, I mean I've always known that Matthew knew about Mark, used parts of Mark and sort of updated it for his own time. I get that. That's been a thing I've known. But what I didn't know beat him. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> verbatim in many cases. But what I didn't fully quite realize is that the author of Matthew was countering several damaging rumors or accusations about Jesus coming from the Pharisees. And those happened to be around Jesus's birth, the validity of Jesus's family and like family genealogy, genealogy. Mm-hmm. yeah and the the validity of of that familial source and then Jesus's alleged violation of Jewish law which they point to the gospel of Mark as evidence that he did that right, <laughs> right. You know? and so this just blew some things out of the water and put this gospel into perspective that I had never considered before. That's cool. And the I, the yeah. thing that I got from it real quick, I just, I just want to bring up real fast that I thought it was really interesting because I hadn't thought of it this way before either, is that the each of the gospels were written for a purpose. Like I, I was raised and, and just kind of went into my education of the like, this is a historical record. And that's not true. Like, it may have been based in history somewhere, but the record itself was always about a particular message. And each of the synoptics were written with a purpose and with an audience to understand. And, and, uh, you know, these 
what's currently being interpreted in several cases as a historical character was literally actually a literative figure. Yeah. Like, like everything else before it. Right. So I, that I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways. So it wasn't Jesus that hated the Pharisees. It was Matthew, it was Matthew. that hated the Pharisees or whoever actually wrote the book of Matthew, right? Yeah. I mean, there was a Jesus. Right. That, I mean, there's a little bit of debate about that left that's still out there kicking. But mostly- oh, I think he was a historical person. It, I think that is pretty resounding that there is so much historical evidence that there was a person that was- Named Jesus from Nazareth, who was executed by the Romans on the charge of sedition. He had radical ideas. He gained some followers. Again, anti-Jewish norm and in some ways probably anti-empirical, but I don't know. I mean, he was still quite Jewish. Anyway, point is, what we know about him comes from people who had their own issues. Yeah. There was nobody writing biography about him. And if there was, those documents are gone and we've never known about them. Right. Um, so what we do have is what we do have. As Specific the other th- narratives that, are, that have an agenda behind them. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that came up, I don't remember if it was in this particular chapter or if it was in one of the videos I was watching, which by the way, this episode has a ton of YouTube video references and links here. I just discovered a smorgasbord that's Lutheran, by the way, (laughs) of amazing, just interesting ways to contextualize the process that I just was nerding out about, but also who wrote the Gospels and who wrote the Bible and uh, talking about different translations and stuff. And I I guess where I'm going with this is uh, the comment that translation is commentary. Right. This is is an old saying, uh, because anybody who knows about translating anything, you know that you're, I mean, you are putting your bias on it. And there are just some really, really glaring commentary that's happening when the translators chose certain words or not just certain words, but chose words that may have been appropriate for the translation, but meant it in a very particular context. Right. I know exactly what you're referencing right now. That context cements the idea for centuries or millennia to come. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what gets me is like the word itself is pretty accurate if you just take it at face value. But what they're referring to, they really want it to mean this particular meaning of that. Word. Yeah. Anyway, because because we'll it, it. it was uh, relevant at the time, right? It was it was definitely contemporary. Well, there was some arguments around it. You yeah. Know? I mean, and this shit happens all the time, and that's where we get Lucifer. Yeah. It's <laughs> exactly where we get Lucifer. Lucifer is not a name of an angel in the Bible. (laughs) It doesn't exist. But John Milton made it happen. And thank God, because that's an amazing piece of art, an amazing piece of lore that we get. But it shaped real theology to real people's reality. It it shaped perceptions and reactions to things. It did. Yeah, for sure. It did. 
And that's what art does at its best, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's inspiration. It's, it's communicating that inspiration with or without language. Goosebumps. Yeah. <laughs> I love art. Same here. I'm just going to say religion at its best, at its best is art. I like that you're like making eye contact with me on that one. <laughs> like, I'm, ta- I'm talking about it at its best. Well, you represent a whole lot of other people out there. I so understood. I get that. <laughs> All right. So, and we're going to conclude whose fault is it? It's the Pharisees' fault. <laughs> I'm a little bummed out that that came up first because I wanted that to be like, an end cap, but I, I love it inside the outline. Yeah, we'll fix it in post. <laughs> we can always put that back, yeah. Okay, diving in, uh, this is chapter three of The Origin of Satan. The Jesus movement at this point has been gaining quite a bit of traction. So real brief review from the last you know, two episodes ago in Mark, that took a place right around 70 CE. And that was the end of this Jewish uprising. The second temple. The second temple got destroyed as fuck. And the Romans quelled that rebellion real hard. After four years, they held it up for a while. But now we're into 80 CE or so. Another, not quite another generation, but, you know, another decade at least after that. And at this point, much to the chagrin, I think, of a lot of Jewish Christians at this point is that the Jesus movement is gaining a lot of traction among the Gentiles. Right. And not getting as much foothold in the Jewish population as they were kind of thinking it would. With a lot of thanks to Paul on that one. Right. That was that -hmm. was kind of his deal was was he was writing letters and trying to spread the word and every place he was getting shut down uh, was, you know, in the Judaic community, he's like, all right, let's, let's go to the other places. Yeah. And, and, and spread the word that way and started seeing some, uh, some foothold. Yeah. Yeah. And that it's interesting because I think apparently there was a fairly large non-Jewish community, the Gentile community that wanted to be Jewish or wanted to have, part of what they had yeah. and this this whole jesus movement was providing the opportunity to do that without having to go through the whole sort of acceptance thing which um, was great right they, they kind of gave them that in and allowed them to adjust the rules a little bit so they didn't have to like well you have to be of x blood and from x location they're like yeah <laughs> but i liked what that guy did so can that work yeah. And they started getting their their go-aheads. Yeah. And so we have this beginnings of this movement of gospels. People are starting to write this shit down, finally. And up until Mark, all that we really had in a written form that we know of, as far as scholars are, have been able to put together, are the letters of Paul and the letters attributed to Paul. So these are epistles. There are... Then Mark's gospel. And, you know, so that's in 70 or so. Other, that's the biggest theory. The most accepted theory is that Mark came first, right? Yeah. And Luke and Matthew 
derived, they used Mark as a source. As a source. As right. a source, yeah. There are a couple other theories that say Mark did not come first, but we're we're operating under the assumption that he did. That's the yeah. most widely accepted one. So when we're giving our timeline here, we're saying that Mark came first, even though that is debated in some circles. Yeah. So we mentioned the Gospel of Thomas. Now, there are some out there, some scholars out there that will put parts of the Gospel of Thomas. Earlier than Mark. Earlier than Mark, even either contemporary with Paul or even predating Paul. Most agree that there was probably some form of the Gospel of Thomas that was written in Greek. Some are saying, actually, that maybe some of it was actually written in the original Aramaic, uh, concurrent with Jesus' time. So hard to know because, as we'll get into it, the Gospel of Thomas was written in Coptic, which we have in its entirety, which dates between the 3rd and 4th century. So, like I say, we'll get into that in a bit. But Paul, Paul's interesting because, once again, he's the first cat that we have, really, from a chronological standpoint that talks about Jesus in a written form. By the time we get Matthew, Mark is well established, as we've talked about. What you are describing, Emily, they call the Markan priority. In the link in this episode, in the description below, uh, there is a fantastic video by Useful Charts that you should totally check out that goes through some of these theories and some of these different possibilities of how the Gospels were put together and why we've landed on the order that we have or the timelines that we've got here. Yeah. So check that out. I highly recommend it. But Paul, getting back to Paul, Paul does talk about a gospel, though he uses that term a lot. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 4, he summarizes this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. That's the gospel for Paul. Paul has like zero interest in Jesus's actual earthly life and what he said and what he meant, you know, right. what his messages were. Because for Paul, it's all about Jesus died. The fuck does that mean for the rest of us? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and right, and he came from uh, help me out. He came from a law background, didn't he? So he was all about. He was a. Sure. He was actually a tent maker. Oh, okay. But he became a Pharisee, right? And, and as a Pharisee, he persecuted the followers of Jesus until he had his conversion. So I suppose there would be sort of a law. Thing. Yeah, Pharisee is is much more in, in line with, with really what it would be. But he he had a where, where my head was going with it was he was very, very contextual. He was mm -hmm. he was very much about like this because of this and this because of this. And he was always very clear in his letters of Jesus was this way because it was set up this way. And he would he would constantly refer back to the uh the old Bible, right? The, That's the right. Hebrew Bible and, and say, here he did this, here he did this, this is why it lines up. And would make this argument over and over again of like Jesus is Messiah, and these are these are the these pieces you're looking for. These are the things he did. Look, they add up. That but was, I think in, in even more than that, though, for Paul is the focus on the resurrection. Oh, okay, yeah. For Jesus, right? The gospel is that Jesus raised from the dead. That is the good news for Paul. Right. That he did suffer, he did die, 
but that he also, according to the scriptures, and (laughs) (laughs) on the third day, he, he rose again. And so for Paul, that's real, real key. For the gospel writers, not that's the resurrection, interestingly enough, is not the focal point. Right. At least for not for Matthew and not for Mark. Mark doesn't really even doesn't bring it up at all. In fact, it was a yeah, postscript, right? <laughs> he ends with And they fled uh, afraid. The end. They fled afraid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fled, yeah, exactly. So they they had to have a like someone who's like, hey, hang on a minute. That's not right. We gotta fucking put an end on this one. This is yeah. that's a terrible ending. So but Matthew, I mean, Matthew spends more time around the resurrection, but what he focuses on is is very different than uh than what Paul was. I mean, the other thing with Paul is you, you said it, Jew and Gentile, slave or free, male and female. All are one in Christ, if you believe in Christ Jesus. And the other thing, though, that she points out is that Elaine Pagels, in this book, um, points out that it's possible that Paul may have had access to something in the way of sayings of Jesus, because he refers to certain sayings that he had, you know, could be the Beatitudes, it could be the Lord's Prayer, that sort of thing. And so that sort of brings us to this Q. I was going to say, do do they think it's the Q source, the sayings of Jesus? Some of them do. Yeah. Well, the other thing that we got to realize is that much like there were many gospels floating around by the time, you know, Mark starts kicking out a gospel, uh, other people are like, hey, that's a good idea. We should write our own. There's a bunch of different sources, I think, going on around this time. Like, hey, we got to rate this stuff down that he said. And so there may have not always been one consistent Q source. Q, we learn, is from the German Quella, meaning source. It's a document that doesn't exist in circulation whatsoever, but evidence of it exists in texts that do not seem to necessarily be related to each other, That, but that strikingly word for word appear. Right. So they had to get it from somewhere. Mm -hmm. Right. And the gospel of Thomas has some of that, but Paul maybe not exactly as word for word, but he had clearly a collection of, of sayings. All right. Gospels. Let's talk about that for a second. So we talked, we just talked about Mark and priority. So this is sort of a, what they call a two source theory. So there's Mark is one source, and then there's this Q source. And Matthew wrote after Mark, and so did Luke, the, the author who wrote Luke in Acts. And just to review, the, the idea is that Matthew and Luke used Mark and Q to write their Gospels. Matthew didn't use any of Luke. Luke didn't use any of Matthew. The parts that they quote from Mark are pretty identical. The parts that they quote from this non-existent source called that we refer to as Q seem to be pretty identical, word for word, uh, between the two Gospels. So, and then we have John, which is a separate thing. <laughs> we have John. Not Leave synoptic. Not okay? synoptic. <laughs> He's not... In line with that. We'll just we'll just put him over there. Yeah. 
But there are other sources or, or other documents out there that use this. And in fact, uh, the gospel, again, we keep coming back to the gospel of Thomas because it's freaking cool. But the gospel of Thomas was actually thought of maybe as another independent source of Jesus's sayings. And that maybe it was either part of or maybe completely independent of Q because the Gospel of Thomas has no narrative. It is just a collection of sayings. Mm. Now, the the other theory, so that we just talked about the two source, Q, Mark, but yep. the other theory uh, that's mentioned in this useful charts episode that I've got posted here is the Q plus Papias hypothesis. This one fascinates me. Because I had never heard of this one before. I hadn't either, but I think this is probably a lot closer to what was going on in that Marcus Borg, a New Mm. Testament in chronological order that I was Uh, talking about before, where they put Luke into like the mid first century, maybe even close to the second century CE. Yeah. So what this says is there was a source called Q, which Mark had access to. And they call it Q plus because Mark uses some of it and doesn't use some of the others. But apparently Mark's gospel uses some of this. And then when Matthew comes along, he has access to both Q plus and Mark. Remember, Mark is made up partially of Q plus. Okay. Right. And so Matthew has access to both of these. After Matthew, though, there is... This other source. This this other source, uh, I can't remember if it was a priest named Papias. And there is a document that we know exists. And I don't remember it referenced in the video what the name of that document is. is We don't have a copy of that document. Yeah, it's gone. Right, it's gone. Completely. But that document had access to Matthew... Mark and Q plus. Okay. Okay. Following me. Yep. So following down the timeline. Right. Yep. Q plus came first, then Mark, then, Mark, then Matthew. Then Matthew then Papias is going to have access to all that so far. And then Luke has access to the previous four. All four. And okay. so that's why he's able to put together things that Luke and Acts to be synoptic like that. And I thought that was fascinating where this sort of falls apart for me is with John, because uh, if we put Luke in the timeline that Marcus Borg did, which was late 150 to 200 CE or so, if we put that have made him, would that have made him the last writer? Yes, it would have. (laughs) Yeah. But then that doesn't explain why John is so, well, not necessarily. What it doesn't explain is why Luke didn't use John at all. Okay. Right. John can use his own thing. And so it's explained that John probably had access or it's thought that he had access to something that they refer to as the signs gospel, which is instead of a collection of sayings, it's a collection of Jesus's miracles. And mm-hmm. He took the signs gospel and built his narrative around that instead of the others. Who knows, you know, what reason mm. why, but there is some pretty theological reasons why John writes the way he does. 
maybe Luke just didn't agree with John. I don't know if, the, if that's where this goes. It does sort of suggest maybe Luke and John are more contemporary. That so that that one is dealing with three unknown sources now. That's mm-hmm. that's Q plus Papio or what? Papius. What is it called? Papius. Uh, Papius. And then the signs. Well, uh, Luke, Papius, Matthew, Mark. They don't use the signs. Only John uses. Only yes. John uses the signs, right? And that was brought up in that video that that uh, John is a theological. Mm-hmm. Uh, narrative, whereas the other ones, the, the synoptic ones, are, are very particular. Yeah, uh, quotes and, and lifestyle, their own sort of tradition and stuff. So, yeah, I don't know. And there's even another one in there uh, that they talk about. I'm not going to waste any time on that, um, but check it out because it's just cool. <laughs> <laughs> but useful charts this is uh matt baker is the narrator and researcher who does that particular episode emily you've pointed out that there are other contributors to useful charts uh is that right oh yeah there's other people who do their own videos and stuff um i the ones that i'm usually drawn to are usually narrated by uh matt yeah yeah he's great so the episode is uh the gospels and acts who wrote the bible episode five and I have a link also, or I've got some description there. They have a whole, he, he, they've done a whole Who Wrote the Bible series. Yeah. I have links to all of those episodes too. I highly recommend. It's just, it's really, really interesting. If you're a visual person. Like puts, me. puts a lot of things into perspective. <laughs> it's really cool. It's, it's also worth pointing out that that uh, Matt Baker is a double PhD and, and the information that he comes from it is highly, highly researched. Yeah. And sourced. It's yes. it's not just random ideas. Like he's, yeah. he's got some really it's not some YouTuber out there going, Hey, I looked up some stuff on Google. Yeah. Yeah, he knows his stuff. Yeah. Same with Religion for Breakfast. That's the other YouTube channel I've been following lately. Dr. Andrew Henry, who is also a PhD religion professor. He is associated with Harvard, I believe, just puts out some great, great stuff. And he has a video that's actually referenced that they sort of did a a collaboration together on this. So his episode is called, Did the Gospels Copy Each Other? And so I have that also referenced. Spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they did. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, lots of great, great links. Go check those out. Waste an afternoon. It's worth it. I do. Oh yeah. I I've I've spent hours <laughs> on their videos. <laughs> yeah. Hours. Okay. The Gospel of Thomas. Let's get into it. First off, where are you guys at with this? Like I love the Gospel of Thomas. No, so I, I took a religion and lit of the New Testament when I was uh, at university, and we studied, obviously, the New Testament, but a bunch of the Gospels that did not make it into the New Testament. And I was really drawn to Gospel of Thomas. I thought it was fascinating to read. And I loved that it was so focused on spirituality, not necessarily like an organized religion, like mm-hmm. these are the practices and stuff. So much of it was just internal and what it means for you. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know, I loved that. It, it, it spoke to me yeah. more so than, than some of the other stuff that was put in there. So that so before, was my take on it. <laughs> before reading about it in this book, the Gospel of Thomas was the very first book 
that I learned about that was excluded from the Bible. And it was the first time I had that context put together in my head that, wait a minute, this is not the unfallible word of God, but this is men deciding what to put together in a book as a Bible. And it just threw me into an amazing spiral of mm-hmm. uh, of what the world is and, and what reality is and what I had been taught as opposed to what is real. And mm. so it really started like a, a big journey for me and came back to it. So when we came back and she brought up the, the book of Thomas, I was like, okay, I know that I have a bias coming into this <laughs> yeah. right now. And so I, I took a breath and, and listened to it. The thing that I remembered getting the first time was the general sense of, like you said, Emily, the spirituality of what it is and the lack of procedures, the lack of control and the lack of systematic religion that was there. And, uh, and that was like, it was just that reminder of my, like my finger in the face of, of my parents and pointing to them and, and like, religion isn't real. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the reason the Bible is made with it is, is to control people and just like all of this vehemence came out. And so I had to like calm myself down again and go, that's what I said. Oh, I, it's, I'm not yelling at anybody. It's just walking. <laughs> But it was, it very much had that all over again. And then recognizing that the whole concept of the potential that it was a counter to the book of John or the other way around Mm -hmm. was really fascinating as as a concept. Yeah. That Mm -hmm. that just kind of like, yeah, they were, they were contrasting each other because one was setting something up for everyone that would existed. And the other was kind of knocking all of that down saying, no, 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 it's a lot easier than that. Like, nah, Mm -hmm. we have a reason. Yeah. And I remember in this class and granted that, you know, we were at a Lutheran university. um, But in, in the class I took, uh, there were some people who were just horrified by these gospels that mm-hmm. did not make it into the Bible. And the reason they did not make it into the Bible, and this is going with the Bible, is the word of God. Like it yep. was just lightning bolted down to earth and here is this book type of thing. Like this was <laughs> this was how it was in their mind. And so the four gospels that made it into the Bible, they are they are perfection and these other gospels how dare they exist and it must be the work of the devil with these other words that are not true and and stuff and i remember there were a couple people in my class who just had visceral reactions mm-hmm. that we are going to be reading some of these words and they yeah, it, learned that these were horrible words in these other gospels. Akin to so. the Book of Mormon, right? It, right. <laughs> and where, yeah. when I was raised, they were very much put together uh, of the, this is the Bible, and these are other books that are blaspheme. And, and, yeah, and they're blasphemous. Blasphemous uh, texts, and, and like, that's not true at all. They're just ignored or added yeah. to or, mm-hmm. or, or removed from. And it was just, it was just, I don't in in my in my picture of how this worked. It was a bunch of old men sitting around a table. Uh, this one is good for the Bible, and this one is not. And they're just pointing and choosing which ones go in. So in my brain, it's just a bunch of old old men sitting there and yeah. picking four of them. <laughs> in pretty 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 sure that that's not far off. <laughs> <laughs> but to your point and to Jeremy's point, I had a, a similar upbringing or, or reaction around, uh, there's a 
couple, I don't remember. It's been too long and I don't care anymore. Bible verses about you shall not add to this book or take away from, and it was interpreted as the Bible itself, not just where that verse was surfaced. And with completely zero regard, like you I love what you said, you know, lightning out of the sky and here's this book, very sort of Moses up on the mountain and come down with the 10 commandments direct from God on these tablets. And here's the book of the, uh, no, (laughs) even, even the most conservative and biblical literal uh, who, who study history can, can say that there was a process there Reasoning is going to be that it was guided by the divine hand of God, that it mm-hmm. achieved the status and in, in the order and in, in all that stuff the way it is. And yeah. so it's infallible in that way. So I'm inspired. Okay, fine. But there was a process and it happened. And there are books that were excluded. And your pointing is totally co- correct. Why the Book of Mormon is rejected, why the Quran is rejected, because it is extra testamental to the New Testament, which was supposed to be the testament that supplanted the other testament. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's a vicious cycle. But right, it came down to having that central message. Right there, there was it, it was decided that there was a particular way that things needed to be with for a particular group of people, and that these books backed that up, and and, and that was and their- in particular what it did is and again I don't think I put this together before it the four gospels that made it were canonized because they provided a blueprint for Christian community and how to worship and how to be a, a religion. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. And the others didn't. They did not. No, the Gospel of Thomas was really, really, I don't know. For me, I was like, oh, shit, maybe I had to be a, be a Thomasian follower. Um, like I said, I love it. It's so focused on individual enlightenment mm-hmm. as opposed to this mandatory belief or group participation requirements. I love this whole the kingdom of God is not a place. And they, I love that they recorded, you know, the disciples were like, well, where is it? What <laughs> you right. know, they have this discussion in the Gospel of Thomas is like, no, it's a state of self-discovery. Yeah, like it's within you. <laughs> you have to get there. I, I see it just it speaks to me. I think it's beautiful. I think that because I think religion is so individualized to mm-hmm. a person and it's such a an intimate relationship that you have with your god um and yeah. yeah yeah and i from what i personally know of this historical jesus i don't think that what is being said in the gospel of thomas is outside of what jesus would have talked about and why right. he would have been so controversial yeah it seems in character for him to do this. And it seems more in line with later struggles with the Christian community to need a blueprint. Right. And I Mm -hmm. think Jesus was like, maybe we don't really need a blueprint. (laughs) Right. And (laughs) and, But then there's that, I don't like to use the word control. So I'm going to use a different word, but there is definitely a set of, and, and you can see it, going through the epistles mm-hmm. and then of course the gospels that were all put together in just that 
they were very used to and very comfortable with setting up a set of rules. Yeah. Right. Leviticus is a great example. And so that there, there is a historical context for, for the reason that they would need to be like, okay, fine. If, if this is going to be a thing, we also need to establish a set of rules. Why is the gospel the way that it is? Why is it the re- resurrected from the dead after the three days, like, like Paul was talking about. And so I, I get that there is, definitely those pieces that were put together, but there's also kind of, which is what happens, like the missed translation or the adjusted translation that says, because we said this, now this must be, mm-hmm. and because we said this, now this must be. And so it becomes this twisted level of truth based around what was originally a guideline and then became a level of control. Yeah. And it, certainly that is where my my upset and my emotional reactions have come from is the, you were controlling me. You were mm-hmm. manipulating my thought process, my belief process, rather than letting me explore and become and find. Yeah. You you told me what, what was so right. when that was not so. Yeah. I, I, I just, I'm acknowledging that there, there's a part where it's definitely the some of it is information and exploration. And I think that's more of what the book of Thomas was about, right? Like you said, Emily, personal exploration, mm-hmm. and personal religion, as opposed to the set of what was put together, which was the organized level of, of mm-hmm. the religion. Which we're going to get into. Also, oh, sorry. I was just going to say we're going to get into because there's a reason for that. And there's a right. pretty good reason why it went that. It wasn't this sort of we must control people kind of situation. Right, and I agree with that. I, I don't think it started up. It, it <laughs> did become that. But the reason why these were sort of stamped with approval and like, no, we need this is, is there's some pretty good reason. What were you going to say, Emily? Oh, I was going to give one of the reasons. Do it. Well, they're, I mean, they're trying to recruit people over to this movement here. And, and they were focused a lot on getting other Jewish people over. Mm-hmm. Well, the Jewish right. people had their temples. They had their synagogues. They, they were very organized. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them were hesitant to leave that. Yeah. That was such a focus of their lives. Mm-hmm. And, and there was a comfort in having that set yeah. routine. They, they know what they're Absolutely. doing. They, they know where they go. And to just be uprooted from that major focal point of their life to go to this new thing, they were trying to bring them over mm-hmm. with, oh, no, look, look, we're, we, we have, have this too. too. We have yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, let's uh, side tangent then. If you think about that, so we have Judaism, who which has these rituals every day, these these rules and these this way of life. Roman society and and the Greek society had their own gods, had their own rituals, had their own uh, again uh, their own ways of being religious. But one says the other is real wrong, right? And maybe they both say the other is real wrong. I know the, the point is there's this new way of thinking. There's this new emergence, this Jesus person who's putting things out there saying these really profound things, but we need that ritual. How shall we be? How do we behave? How do we be us as a people? What are we allowed to eat? What are we allowed to eat? <laughs> well, I mean, right. some very basic questions Mm -hmm. you know and the gospel of thomas is not concerned about that whatsoever Mm -hmm. not at all so 
That's Thomas. There's a gospel of Philip who said, and I'm going to paraphrase, do not become a Christian, become a Christ. You imagine the blasphemy that sends out through the ages. But the point is, don't be a follower. Be the Messiah. You be a Messiah. Again, mind blown, finding enlightenment. Be the example that you that you want to have exist in the world. And again, I can see Jesus teaching that too. Mm-hmm. Be the example right. that that you you want others to to follow. Right. You talked about word translations, and uh, one of the few things I studied when I studied uh, the Koine Greek was going over John three sixteen, mm-hmm. and and some of the words that were there. Right, and and the interpretation that is common. Inside John 3.16 is no one can see God except through me, right? Except through Christ. And that word through, the the Greek word that was used for that, is also used for the word as or is. And so if you read it in the other context, it says no one will understand God unless you do it as I do Mm. or as me Mm -hmm. rather than through me. And I was like, that's a big deal. That's a massive change. Hey everyone, this is Jeremy. Uh, Listen, I said something a little wrong here and I wanted to correct it real fast. 20 years ago, when I was in my evangelism class, we were studying the scripture, John 3.16, but I had misquoted it. I I was putting different words to it. John 3.16 is actually this. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And the word that I was attempting to reference was in. It was believes in him. That's a Greek word that's uh, spelled with an E-I-S, if it was an English translation. But it, it could mean a lot of different things. It was used in this context as in or into, but there's a lot of ways it could have been used. And that was the one that we were referencing. The verse I actually quoted when I was trying to put the words to it was actually John uh, 14.6, I think, which is, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So if you got kind of a head-scratch moment, because I was completely misquoting verses, you weren't the only one. All right, thanks. Let's get back to the show. And I started reading it in other ways, and it was very much along that lines of, you know, this reference back to Psalms, which Mm -hmm. talked about being the children of God. And it's not the children of God. It is the godlings. The actual Mm -hmm. translation is godlings, small gods. Mm -hmm. And so that you are, when we are made in God's image, it was not that we were made like him. We were gods. We were made Mm -hmm. as him with the same power of creation and same understanding. And so like, there was so much of this. I was like tearing up books. I'm like this and this and this, and just writing lines (laughs) as I was explaining to people. But you know, when I heard about the the gospel of Philip the same way, I was like, that's, that's that same level yeah. of, of well in other epistles i i it alludes me right now i i don't recall if it's paul or not but it might be in one of the other epistles where it says be imitators of christ yes oh yeah definitely heard that before yeah so consistent in idea and thought here some of it made it in some of it didn't um, but when you need a church with a hierarchy, mm-hmm. when people are so used to having a priest and a high priest and people are coming down to, then you don't include things like we're all the same and right. And we're all God mm-hmm. ourselves. Yeah. You, you need to change that up. Yeah. 
So obviously these didn't mesh because these early Christians needed a, they needed a blueprint for how yeah. to be a new religion and, and whatnot. So everything else just gets rejected as heresy and <laughs> tradition gets formed around that. So yay. Oh, uh, before we leave Thomas, we talked about the secret twin of Jesus's brother, right? Right. Yeah. Um, the gospel of Thomas opens with this notion that it is a secret gospel by Jesus's twin or secret twin. The idea is that no, Jesus didn't have a twin brother. You, the reader are Jesus's twin. Right. Back, back into that, right? <laughs> Be as God. You, you are what he is. Yeah. Oh, it's just so good. But like when you see that information, you're like, wow, that's really cool. And yeah, that would never make it into a Bible of right. someone who's organizing religion. Yeah. Like, let's worship God. You are God. Worship you. Wait. Hey, <laughs> wait. hang on. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Okay. Matthew. Let's get into Matthew. We've not got into Matthew yet. This chapter is about Matthew. It's full process. <laughs> Wait till we don't even get into the devil. Yeah. That, that was well, me. In this whole chapter, I was like, where's the devil part? And then I recognized, like, oh. oh, wait a minute. No, no. Origin of Satan, which is adversary, not devil again. And I was like, I did it to myself. And so <laughs> getting to the end of the chapter, I was, I was going through that. Yeah. Yeah. Because the devil's not... A character per se the devil is right. an influence in this so 70 ce mark happens there's this branch of christianity that's happening the temple is destroyed the second temple is destroyed the romans quell the the jewish uprising we're done well we know about jesus's followers through mark but what's going on with judaism because there's a whole lot of Jews that were just crushed. Yeah. And their temple was destroyed. And so there is this uh, rabbi, Yohanan ben Zakkai, who retreats to Rome and beseeches- Vespasian? Vespasian, yes, thank you. So essentially what he does is he establishes the theological way forward for Judaism under the permission of the Roman Empire so that they don't get killed again. Nice. And establishes rabbinical Judaism where they no longer have the temple and they no longer have that, that central key focus. So instead, they replace the temple with the Torah. Mm. And now the Torah is in your individual the Torah is now your temple in your lives and you can, you can take that with you. And so observance of the Torah is how we move forward. So this is moving along and the Pharisees are gaining leadership and this is replacing the Sanhedrin. And so we get to about 80 CE and Matthew is button heads with these Pharisees because the Pharisees are all about this is how we be Jewish and how we continue our identity. And for Matthew and, and Jesus's teaching, he sees a bunch of this as hypocritical bullshit of observance for the sake of observance sake to a point of immorality. 
right? That yeah. you were you were neglecting or causing injustice to people just so you can follow your fucking law. But it's because the Pharisees have gained a huge level of notoriety and trust and respect from the communities that Matthew has an uphill battle at this point to try and come up with things. So he's got to come out swinging. Right. And he does. And he puts in no uncertain terms how the Pharisees are supposed to read themselves in Matthew's gospel (laughs) (laughs) as agents of the devil. Yeah. And so for Matthew, we have Jesus who interprets the entire whole Torah in two commandments. You know what they are. Love your God. Yep. Love your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire Torah. He's like, I got this. I'm going to, I'm going to make this real simple for all you people out there. (laughs) Cliff notes version. Yeah. (laughs) Even the Gentiles could do this. Ooh, there's an idea. The Gentiles are like, really? I loved learning that the Gentiles, which confused me for so long as a kid is not a particular group of people. I just knew them as un-Jews. I didn't realize that the term Gentiles was the nation's. Yeah. It, it, it's the same thing, right? It's everyone that is not Jewish, but it is, it, whenever someone is a Gentile, they are just simply of the nations, mm-hmm. like of, of outside of us. Which but is thought, how he ends his gospel, but we'll get to that. Right. So the Pharisees come out swinging of their own. They're like, okay, all right, let's talk about your Jesus guy. All right. Jesus, it's clear he has an illegitimate birth. Joseph is not his father. What's going on? Second, Mary and Joseph, you got to be kidding me. These commoners from Nazareth. There's no royal bloodline here. This family is too common. There's no nobility whatsoever. And third, your own Mark, your own gospel writer, come out and just completely confesses that Jesus has violated, has no regard whatsoever to the Sabbath or kosher laws or anything. So they're building this case up and... Matthew has got to come out and defend all that. Yeah, he turns their arguments on on their head, basically. On their head, reverses yeah. it, role reversal, one hundred percent. I had no idea. I had <laughs> no idea that I could look at this gospel this way. It's so much better now. So where this gets to be key, and I think you uh, were were picking up on this earlier when we were talking about translation, is that Elaine Pagels and, and other scholars are saying that. Matthew apparently knew the Septuagint, and the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. Okay, it's a translation. Got it. And as we said, translation is commentary. So Matthew's diving into scripture, looking for ways to back his arguments up. And he goes to Isaiah, Isaiah 7:14, where there is a Hebrew term, Alma, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but Alma is referring to a young woman. Young woman. <laughs> giving birth to the upcoming Messiah, a very normal, natural birth by a young woman. But. <laughs> the Septuagint translates this as Parthenos, meaning virgin. But Parthenos does also mean maiden or young woman. But in Greek society, 
they used Parthenos to describe the very virgin birth, miraculous birth of Julius Caesar. Uh, virgin birth stories are not uncommon yeah. among the Greek Hellenized society to paint the pictures of very, very prominent, miraculous. These are very special people for this Very time. special people. Yep. And so Jesus has to have a very, very special birth, which was so, foretold uh, <laughs> in our Hebrew Bible Septuagint version. Yep. So not just a young woman. It's now a virgin. That's right. So the birth is now a sign. Yeah. It's a miracle. She's, she's not just sleeping around on her husband and getting pregnant. Yeah. Now it's a miracle. Yeah. It's a miracle. Foretold in Isaiah. Renowned among prophets. Yeah. And then Matthew revises Mark and says, no, no, God's spirit doesn't descend on Jesus at his baptism. No, it's at his birth. This is a miracle that's happening. Do you mean conception? He is conceived by the Holy yeah. Spirit. Yeah. You know, God's spirit. So Matthew writes this immaculate conception story. You know, we hear every Christmas. Right. <laughs> so we've got the birth situation figured out. Not illegitimate. Very, very special birth. Now we're going to hit the uh, Jesus lineage problem, which, oh, my God. If you've read Matthew chapter one. <laughs> ah, so many begets. But right. You're absolutely right. It's it's horrible reading. But if you are starting the book of Matthew with the understanding that this is a massive proclamation, this is my thesis. Mm -hmm. Behold yep. the history lines that I have gone through. Look at my footnotes. Look at my bibliography. It totally makes sense from that standpoint. I have done my research, folks. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> and so he does. Matthew digs through the Hebrew scriptures and lines out and spells it out for us, a genealogy for Jesus that goes all the way to Abraham by way of King David. And so now we have this royal lineage. Now, Luke does the same thing. Oddly enough, very different. Not the same genealogy. And if Luke came after Matthew, not real understanding what's, what he's going on with her. Maybe we'll get into that in the next chapter. That's a question I have. Why don't yeah. they match? Seems like they would, especially if Luke had access to Matthew. Just a thought. Matthew's family story, though. So now we've got his lineage figured out, but his story. So um, it's well known that Jesus comes from Nazareth. So what's that about? Well, we get a birth story in Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem, but he couldn't stay there because of Herod. And Herod learned that the Messiah is going to get born and a new king is going to get born. So he's got to go out and kill all the babies. And so to escape from that, they've got to flee to Egypt so that they can, you know, be out of state. Yep. When that happens, they eventually can come back and settle in Nazareth, but he was really born in Bethlehem. So we get this interesting narrative, but... <laughs> Maybe I, I picked this up earlier and I just forgot, but the direct parallels to the Exodus story was stunning. Oh, yeah. Me. As you said, Emily, on its head. So we have Pharaoh. The new Pharaoh is Herod. Herod is Jewish. The Judean king or ruler, <laughs> the Jewish 
leader is ordering the murder of the firstborn male up to two years of age. This is what Pharaoh did. Pharaoh was a foreign hostile nation who enslaved the Jews. So Herod is now Pharaoh. And then to escape Judea, the promised land where we are supposed to be safe, we have to escape there to Egypt, where we are enslaved. Egypt is now a safe harbor, just on its head. Jerusalem is now death. Judea is death. Egypt is life. And then on top of that, Jesus is now proven to be way more worthy of this kingly title than Herod. Jesus isn't going to go out there and murder a bunch of babies. And then we get, we do get Satan. Matthew says, okay, I like your story, Mark, about Satan in the wilderness, but he doesn't have any lines. Right. So <laughs> let's, let's give him something to he say. He just said he was out there and that's, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like, oh, who, sh- who should Satan talk like? Ah, he should be the scribes. Them, them assholes like to debate and they cite scripture like crazy. So Satan is this caricature of the Jewish scribes who are skilled debaters in quoting scripture. And he promises, Satan promises Jesus his entire kingdom. He says he owns this whole place. And he promises it to Jesus if he would just, you know, bow down and worship. And so this is a dig at the Pharisees who apparently, you know, have their Roman patronage. And, you know, just say, hey, quit all this crap and you can join us. <laughs> oh, it, again, it, like the same way I saw it, there is a, an entire narrative that gets added into the Gospels and, and mm-hmm. the way that we're taught them, the way that we see them. So to see it again from the scholarly standpoint, it really does like open up the level of what is actually written, what the context really is, rather than an entire pile of interpretations yeah. or what we want it to be, because that's that can happen all over the place. That's right. Right. That whole other layer is provided, and mm-hmm. it just, it's very eye-opening. Yeah. So we have the final argument, right? The obedience to the Torah, the Sabbath, kosher laws yeah. from Mark. Well, you know, Matthew's Jesus he goes out and says the Torah isn't strict enough. Right. You know, you guys are half-assing it. My Jesus, he he says, you know, the Torah says don't murder. Well, my Jesus says you can't get angry. Yeah, you can't even call names. You can't, you can't. do name calling. There's yeah. no insults in my religion. Your Torah says don't commit adultery. Well, you can't even lust. In my religion, your Torah says you shall not, but Jesus says you shall. So we're going to flip everything against this. What observations did you have on that? The part that that I was seeing the most from the, the whole counter end was very much, I didn't see as much as the completely flipped over of the laws, Jesus being more strict, as I, much as I saw it as the, your laws are impossible. Mm. Like, 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 you have all of these things to do. Well, if you're gonna not do adultery, don't lust. 
Mm-hmm. Like, try that. Oh, okay. So, so don't murder. Great. Don't get angry. Don't even call names. Yeah. Because if you do, that's still a sin, mm-hmm. right? L- look at your laws. That is still a sin. If you might as well be doing it anyway. And, and that, that was very much how I saw it was that, yeah. that pointing out that like everything that you say is a rule is, is impossible to follow even the way that it is. So who's the real hypocrite? Yeah. <laughs> right. I like that. I think that's a better way to yeah. look at it. I like your take a lot, Jeremy. Because he says, you know, I came not to abolish the law, but to right. fulfill it. Exactly. And how do you do that? So again, refuting, he's not out there trying to scrap the Torah. He's not trying to violate the kosher laws. He's just doing it differently. And he's doing it better because he's catching it before it takes root. Right? Right. Yeah. And, and right. And then it comes back down to that referring back to itself of the, what the Torah really is. Love your God and love one another. Mm-hmm. Already summarized right at the Already beginning. Summarized. Yeah. So in response to all that, Matthew then zero wins on the Pharisees as this evil brood of vipers and demonizes them and makes them the agents of Satan, whether they, are aware of it or not you know these are the jews that rejected jesus as the messiah and and they actually like actively sabotage jesus's followers you know trying to cite all these things to say you shouldn't be doing this well fuck them (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's matthew fuck them because even the gentiles can follow this shit but anyway, you get the idea. <laughs> you know, they're saying we have stricter rules. Jesus was the most worthy king. He had a special birth. But culminating in, and we were kind of teasing on this before. So Matthew goes through the resurrection. But what does he instruct? He, what he, he says at the end, when he's resurrected, he tells his followers to go and make disciples of the nations, of all nations. Yeah. <laughs> go and make disciples of all nations, which are Gentiles. Yep. Right? That's that's that translation. This just, oh, it's such a big fuck you <laughs> to the Pharisees to me. I don't know. I, uh, am I alone in that? It just, in that context, it's like, We've been so against the nations for so long now. Yeah. And and right. You get the impression that they still are, mm-hmm. that they're back to their rabbinical Judaism. And they're like, no, you have to be a Jew to be a Jew. And, and the only way you can be a chosen of God, one of God's chosen is to be this Jewish Jew and, and, and stick with your Torah. And, whatnot. and he's like, no, no, no. And that, right. That that's how I saw it is, is Matthew was, was very much like, you're wrong every single time. Everything you're talking about is wrong up yeah. to and including the fact that Jesus said that everyone should be following these laws, not just the Jews. Yeah. Everyone should follow his way. And and right and so go and make disciples of men of nations. That is that is everybody else. That's not you. Yeah. Everyone that is not a Pharisee, they're the ones that will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Right, and right, you can go into the, the further conversations in there as well of, of, funny, of, of some of the stories of Jesus and the talking and, and the way he spoke about 
how you pray and, mm-hmm. and how you give and, and all of those. Right. All anti-Pharisee every single time. It's yeah. not about do this so much as it's don't do what they do. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> this way is better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a ton we didn't cover. I kind of feel like we summarized a fair bit of it. Yeah, that's a good chapter summary. The the main points of it. Next time, we will be getting a twofer. We're going to dive into Luke and John. Yep. Um, All right. Yeah. Her her title is Luke and John Claim Israel's Legacy. The Split Widens. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. Still (laughs) no devil. Yeah. Well, that's it for today's episode. Cool. Good to see everybody. Yeah. Thank you for the conversation. That was a good one. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. This has been The Devil You Don't Know. Next episode, we'll be finishing up with the Canonical Gospels in Chapter 4, Luke and John Claim Israel's Legacy, The Split Widens. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash thedevilpodcast. As a contributor, you get access to our episodes before they release, bonus content, discuss future episode ideas, and more. And the money we raise not only goes towards our monthly cost of the show, but also helps us raise money to be able to have on prominent guests, like scholars who write books and stuff. We also would just love to hear from you and what you're getting out of the show, so drop us an email at learn at thedevilpodcast.com. Hey, thank you all for listening, and remember, the devil you don't know is the devil someone else does. Until next time.